You're listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Legends of Runeterra. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. To become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash legendscast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the legends of Runeterra. I am one of your hosts, The Lift, or Mark, from outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and with me tonight is the legendary and ever-faithful co-host, Dead Broke Nerd. Dead Broke Nerd, how you doing tonight, man? Doing great, man. That take two was better than the first one. This is going to be a great episode. Um, there's a bunch of new stuff. I haven't even looked at it until today. But uh, came out today. <laughs> everything is everything is so sparkly and different. Nobody got a chance to look at it until today, man. It came out today. Today's oh, the I day. It's true. Is yeah. today the day? You just looked at it hours after everybody else. That's all. Yeah, that's what it is. Everybody was already talking about it and they finished talking about it. And now I'm like, oh, well, look at this. Yeah. <laughs> so we got we got a conversation about the KDA, uh, the KDA event that just hit Runeterra today. Conversations about the patch that just hit Runeterra today. And conversations about what we have been playing in Legends of Runeterra. We're also giving away a hat tonight to one lucky Patreon supporter. We're going to be taking a few questions one from patreon one from inside and guys we're letting you know right now we have not had many deck entries in deck name game over in the discord and that is largely because we keep forgetting about it and so we're not going to forget about it next week next week we're doing deck name game and we're going to talk about one of your decks so make sure you get it in there um but uh dbn what have you been playing this week because you did tell me before we got recording that uh you've been doing a lot of runeterra this week yeah, so I actually went on a little uh, trip with my family. Uh, we drove up to mountains, visit my sister who's in college, and uh, we uh, had like a nice little Airbnb and just kind of got to hang out with the fam. It was nice, uh, but obviously in the car ride, uh, I wasn't driving, so I get to play a lot of Runeterra. <laughs> um, I did an expedition, which I haven't done in forever, uh, and uh, I also played quite a bit of ranked and casual playing both competitive and uh uh mimi lists and all of which were involving shadow isles i don't know what it is about this patch or anything but for some reason shadow isles have felt like the most fun to play uh decks for me recently now um, it's not my favorite faction overall, but just there's something about some of these new interactions, new cards. It's not just the Vaults of Helia, although I've played a good amount of that, and that's just a blast to, to play. Um, and one that I feel like my list is is pretty, you know, maybe I don't want to say it's the best way, but it's pretty close to the best way to play the the the, lo- the landmark, not the location, mm-hmm, the landmark. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but also, like I have uh, a a nice Mimi uh, Nox Crya Arena list with shadow isles that charmer put on his page shout out to charmer uh great yeah great uh content creator i didn't know that charmer was still playing legends of runeterra to be honest with you yeah yeah he posts uh a couple videos up uh i guess a month or sometimes more when there's a set release and stuff but yeah no he made a uh a really fun list that i've done some tweaking too and i'm not gonna say it's better but i like it better Uh um but it's uh the base list was his and it's a uh Nox Cry Arena with the Undying. Um, oh. The idea being just playing everything that can kill the Undying and make that Undying really big. And then that Undying is going to smash things in the face with the Nox Cry Arena. 
I've actually won a lot more games than I've lost, although darn it if it isn't hard to get the two on the board at the same time. I've won games with the arena where I didn't have a dying, and I've won games with undying <laughs> where I didn't have the arena. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, <laughs> but well, I also... You know, that's how it works sometimes. Yeah, you know, but at least I'm getting wins. So <laughs> well, that's good. Um, I will say I've also gotten quite a bit of ranked wins with aggro Shadow Isles, and I have my list and your list now that I finally have three nocturnes. Uh, nice. And, you know, it's one of those things that I can't figure out which I like better. Um, they're just so different, which I think really speaks to uh, Shadow Isles as a faction, allowing me to play two very different aggro lists. What? Like, some yes. of the core cards yeah. are the same. I mean, you still play Stalking Shadows and Glimpse, but, like, the creature packages are like so totally different between the two lists. I think that is the coolest thing. Well, I know what my list runs and I've talked about it on the show a couple of times. So most people have some, if you listen to the show, you have some sort of an idea about what I've been playing, which spoiler alert. If I, I, I didn't play much this week because the witches festival and Elder scrolls online started Thursday. And so I've been spending my game time on that, but I did play with the expansion or the patch today. Played some Shadow Isles aggro. So tell me about this list that you have together. How is it different? Like, I'm curious to know what is the aggressive creature package that it runs that I don't? Well, so, I mean, some of them are the same. Uh, like, I still run Cursed Keeper, obviously, and Ravenous Butcher. I mean, you kind of, that's like the wombo combo, you know? Um, okay. But so, like, you've got, uh, like, a lot of the Nightfall stuff, Bark Beast, Stygian Onlooker, Mist Wraiths. Blighted Caretakers, uh, Nocturne, you know, Risen Mist. So yours is, a, you know, yours caps out at four, which, I mean, it's pretty effective. Um, and it's especially good against, like, uh, some of those, like, TK Soraka seems to have a hard time against it unless they can perfectly curve out all of those uh, beefy uh, self-damage boys. Yeah, there's a couple of them that if they get the perfect curve, they can dominate the board, but typically they can't. Right. Um, but the build that I've long played, so it's a it's based on my original list that honestly went something like 20 and one in the meta that I built it in, which is a Lucian and Callista list. Oh, OK. Yeah, I remember that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it absolutely slayed at, at the time. It was I, I really genuinely felt it was the best aggro deck in the game at the time. And I and I, I, that was during good Noxus aggro. I, I seriously felt like it was the biggest sleeper agent in the game. Um, no one really seemed to be. The, you, it was like a 50 50 against Noxus and it had like a 70 80 percent win rate against literally everything else. That deck was amazing. Of course, it's a little bit different in the current meta. There's a lot more healing in the game. Um, you know, and more, there's also uh, what's uh, avalanche. There's a lot more avalanche in the game right now. Yeah, a lot so. more avalanche. That's true. But this is actually this deck actually like kind of thrives on those sorts of uh things because it's a last uh last breath focused list. Um, and so the current list that I is run it runs the undying in it, right? That's an that's an undying deck that you're running, right? Yeah, but uh, you don't need it's not it's so like so the Nox Cry build that I was talking about earlier that needs undying. This doesn't. It's yeah. just undying is an is nice too, um, and so this one it's obviously still got ravenous butcher, but it runs three oblivious islanders and three wardens prey uh, at the one drop slot, uh, along with two mark of the isles. The idea being, uh, it runs Callista. I cut the Lucians and Sinus from this list uh, that I'm currently running, and I'm not saying I'm not saying Lucian wouldn't be good, but I went with the more consistent. Like I draw, I wanted to lower. I had originally had eight 
Demacia cards in it. And I wanted the Allegiance to go off more consistently with Wraithcaller. Now, I'm playing Wraithcaller purely because it's a four mana six five. I'm not running Mist Wraiths. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So I found that Mist Wraiths actually kind of hurt my board state with what everything else I wanted to do. Okay. Be, um, because I really want to get uh, you know, some of these last breath guys out and going, um, especially like Undying, but also I want to get Curse Keepers and stuff like that. Warden's Prey is great because it generates uh, last breath followers that cost three or less, and ninety percent of the time that's going to be like something good, like another Warden's Prey, a Curse Keeper, or an Undying. Sometimes you'll get Thorny Toad, and that sucks. But the rest of the time, it's it's something that you can immediately turn around and use. And then because I'm running stuff like Mark of the Isles, uh, I'm able to ha- like trick trades with um, with creatures that I don't mind if they die, which helps you get Callista leveled up. And this yep. deck does actually, unlike the one that you play, this deck actually can get Callista leveled up pretty consistently, and it wants Callista to get leveled up. Yeah, um, it's, try- it's trying to do that, right? Like It's that, trying to do that. That's really the goal. You want to level up that champ. Exactly, yeah. But what what's the cool thing here is that um, Ethereal Remitter is like the big, like, Ethereal Remitter and Wraithcaller are the big win cons of this deck. And not necessarily because I'm getting, um, you know, su- you know, super powerful characters off of them, but because of the amount of stats that they're going to generate for their cost uh, and the fact that it splits them across multiple board positions means you're just going to be able to constantly get a six-slotted board all the time where when you attack you want them to trade right yeah, you need uh-huh. space to play more characters and it just it, it, this deck more than any other deck more than the build that you have it's almost like a token pressures it is it is but it, the tokens don't really come online until like three four five mm-hmm. you know um but once they do i mean the undying nobody's ever really going to be able to get rid of it because there's very few obliterates in the game um yeah, and, and hush is no longer nearly as popular, and you really don't even want to hush that. Like so often, you like, oh, yeah, I just don't even block it. Right, and and the cool thing with Undying is because I'm running Oblivious Islander. Oblivious Islander makes Undying so much more potent because you can make sure that it dies uh, on the turn that it comes in immediately, even if that turn is the opponent's turn. Um, and so the best play in the game is I, Oblivious Islander on one. And then discount the undying, drop it on two, undying dies on two. You have a three, three, undying on three, and then you can play whatever else you want. Um, obviously, glimpses, you've got stalking shadows, which are great as well for undying, but they're also great for the doom beasts that are in there for bursting. Uh, but the, the kind of the thing that I've gone back and forth on cutting uh, there's the, is the top two cards. Uh, I run two Neverglade Collectors. Um, it's one of the cards that for an aggro deck, it's a little slow. And I it typically it, at times it's, it's felt reach. like, oh, this is it's reach. And because this deck just doesn't have much reach, sure. you know, you're not running Doom Beast in it, are you? I am as I well. So I am running Doom Beast. The old build didn't have Doom Beast and Stalking Shadows, which is where Lucian and, and uh, Senna went. So I cut Lucian okay. and Senna for Stalking Shadows SI? and Doom Beast. Well, no, because my two non SI cards are two back to back. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Because a little and, just an ability to trick a trade in in mm-hmm. a really powerful way or push six additional damage to face. Yeah, exactly. Because it's going to be and pretty th- common that they're not going to be able to block everything that you're attacking with. Right, and I think you could argue that like you could cut those and run like two Brothers Bond just for the attack stat, but at the cheaper cost. But then it becomes just about tricking things offensively. But I just found that enough of the time I had Callista or Neverglade Collector that if they live through this, I win the game guaranteed. 
So back-to-back felt like the better option. And sometimes mm. sometimes you'll get so wide of a board that you can't play the creatures that are in your hand. Um, and so I don't mind spending all my mana on a back-to-back when I really did couldn't, you know, my board's already full. I'm just waiting for them to clear it before I refill. Back-to-back at that point is like a good way to, you know, even though it's more expensive, you get more bang for your buck. Uh, and it really just kind of helps you seal out and, and, and close a game. So this deck honestly just feels so good. Um, if anything, I might find I have two vile feasts in it, which I might end up cutting. And I've been thinking about cutting vile feasts just to get a couple more characters to increase the uh, options with stalking shadows on average. I think that you should drop vile feast immediately and pick up the nightfall version. Yeah, you know, but. The thing is, then I, I like having the spiderlings down because I get them instantly. Um, and yeah. because I'm really trying to get Callista leveled, you know, um, the Nightfall one is is certainly really good for keeping your hand full. But I have found that this deck doesn't necessarily have a hard time with that. I think because of the addition of Warden's Prey. Yeah, I think that one of the things that that card gives you that you don't get from that is the potential for reach that comes out of it because you can get Doom Beast and because you can get the card that gives itself and something else elusive, um, mm-hmm. which is a couple of a couple of very helpful cards. And you also could get the uh, the elusive the, the chick that just comes down with elusive with Nightfall. <laughs> um, you kind of get a little. I find that there's three options there that oftentimes give me the reach that I need to be able to end the game, and it is a one point of damage that can go face whereas uh the spiderling one cannot um and so if you're one damage off of face you can turn it or let's say there's something you're trying to burn your opponent out and you don't really have anything that you can kill with the ping but you have the extra mana right now and you don't want to waste mana you can ping the face to push them a little bit closer to death and i've actually had that win me several games where my opponent was like just Oh, like they just barely stayed alive. And I drew that to be able to ping face. It was just enough to win me the game. Um, So I've definitely had good experiences with that card. You know what? You sold me. I'm doing it. I'm making the change now. I'm going to see. It's a little bit more versatile. Yeah. See how unspeakable horror works for me. Yep. Try it out. I did. I did really like it in your build, but that felt because, you know, Nightfall was it's kind of a package in there. Well, it really um, isn't because you're never even leveling up Nocturne. I leveled up Nocturne. I, I, I got Nocturne first time leveled I twice. I mean, yeah. I played him. Yeah, I've gotten him leveled twice since. I've played uh, him without even activating Nightfall on him more often than I've leveled him up. <laughs> I, maybe I'm maybe I was playing the deck wrong then, just being too well, over eager. But I mean, it seemed to work. We, you said before we started, you had a couple questions about what I had in that Shadow Isles, that Mono Shadow Isles deck. So, what were your questions? Because yeah. I'm curious, and then we'll uh, we'll take a co- we have a couple questions from the Discord and stuff we can jump into. Yeah, so the biggest thing that I seem to have issues with was my turn ones and twos. Um, The thing that I love so much about my list is that the turn one and two plays are pretty obvious because you have um, two one drops that go decently with Ravenous Butcher, uh, Warden's Mm -hmm. Prey, and the uh, Oblivious Islander, if only because the Oblivious Islander um, usually gets the effect and you don't care if it dies. It's still you still probably hold on to the butcher, but if you want to, you can you can just go ahead and kill and get more pressure. Um, but the warden's prey into butcher is great, um, as well as the cursed keeper into butcher. Um, but my biggest thing is I had such a hard time with both Bark Beast and Stygian Onlooker on one. I'm like, do I even play these guys? And Bark Beast on one is nice, but if the deck is if the opponent is playing any other one drop, Bark Beast is it sucks. You know, you you lose the value. Same with Stygian Onlooker. I mean, I want to believe that the Nightfall, you know, plus two and Fearsome is going to do the trick. 
But at a certain point, I'm like, why? I, what if I just went and grabbed three precious pets and just guaranteed the fearsome from turn one? You know, and then I, it's not truly mono, but it's still only three copies of a card, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so, okay. So, Stygian Onlooker does synergize with, uh, so he does synergize with Nocturne, first off. So, that is one of the benefits of him. And you don't have to activate Nightfall to synergize with Nocturne. You just have to attack with a creature with Nightfall. Nightfall never needed to be activated on that creature. So, Stygian Onlooker on one oftentimes pushes a point of damage. On the flip side, Stygian Onlooker later in the game, if you pick him up of Stalking Shadows, can sometimes push eight points of damage damage if you get two of them down um off of stalking shadows and i would rather get that over a two one um with fearsome now i'm, I'm not saying that they're it, to be honest with you like i have never really tweaked this deck i just went i said i want to play mono shadow isles i built an aggressive mono shadow isles deck and it has been so successful for me i've never really considered splashing in so there might be precious pet might be a good a good thing there in place of stygian onlooker the the other thing that i will say is is that this deck is trying to get mist wraiths going and so the first couple of turns typically look like a uh bark beast or stygian onlooker typically you want bark beast turn two you're looking for cursed keeper into ravenous butcher and that is like that's the god play right in the beginning right however you can also skip turn one play uh play hopefully like you have the attack token right you skip turn one turn two you play mist wraith turn three you have that spell mana you're on turn three you burst out a risen mist and attack with two three twos with fearsome on turn three um and that is something that happens relatively frequently with the deck. You yeah. also can pretty reliably go like turn one, Bark Beast. Okay, your opponent plays a one drop, bummer. Turn two, you know, maybe you're dropping a Mist Wraith. Turn three, Callista. And then you're attacking Callista first, Mist Wraith second. Sure, your opponent might be able to block and kill Callista, but then they're going to level up your Bark Beast. Yeah, um, I mean, Bark Beast is certainly nice if you can get it to live. I felt I found myself just playing playing too hard to uh, open up the Bark Beast's ability. And I never felt it was the incorrect play, but it felt like I just had to do these ex run in like extra circles to make Bark Beast worth the, not not worth the effect, but worth the slot in hand. You know, I mean, obviously for a one mana, he's not bad, but I found a lot of times I'm like, you know, is this worth that the, the hand advantage if I'm having to jump through all these hoops to get anything better than a one, one for one? You know what I mean? What I have found is I've often played stuff that was like, it was just so aggressive in the beginning that my opponent was forced to block something, right? And they were forced to, like, there's just too much pressure. Like a 4-3 on turn three from Callista with Fearsome. If your opponent has a three attack minion, they're like, I have to block and kill this Callista. It's just too much of a threat. And then my one drop becomes a 3-3. Three, three. And so right. I don't if, feel but like... But the issue is if it, if it lives that long is what I was having an issue with. You know, well, you either sit there with your one drop and not end up like passing and not attacking and not using it for the first two turns. Or, um, I mean, Bark Beast wasn't terrible in like the like turns like three, four, five range where like, oh, you're playing something along with the Bark Beast or you're playing the Bark Beast and then playing Nocturne where you're playing the Bark Beast and mm -hmm. then playing mm -hmm. Stygian Onlooker. Like, then it was pretty decent. I just, you know, I, I like my one-drops on one to be, you know, a instantly effective, kind of like your precious pet is just so great because you know you can get that two damage in right away, almost certainly.
Yeah, I think Bre- Precious Pet might be a good transition away from Stygian on looking at Precious Pet. That might be true. I-, I would have to decide, is Precious Pet so much better than Stygian Onlooker on one that I want to run the risk of ever missing a Mistwraith um, from my, you know, uh, from my allegiance um, because you won't miss it often but if you do it can be game losing because you're counting on that extra body um, and this deck doesn't necessarily it isn't isn't necessarily a deck that that wants to it's aggro yes but it's not the same type of aggro as say um like a discard aggro where you're just or or noxian aggro where you're just trying to do as much damage as you possibly can as quickly as you can the the point of this deck is that you're swarming the board and your opponent can't block enough things right and the fearsome units that you have make it even more difficult to block the correct things that they want to be blocking there has been games where bark beast has been awkward but in games where you get bark beast on one into cursed keeper ravenous butcher two it, oh that's the truth well, it, like, no bl- it like blows out the game like it can just blow out the game and so or bark beast one cursed keeper two and then the one that summons the the two two ones with challenger um off of it on three like and you clear two things from your opponent's board early game and you know you're sitting on a two one a four three and a then a, a three three like that it, those games are just like mm-hmm. they just blow out the game so i think you know i think that i play bark beast partially because i didn't want to splash anything else and and then the flip side of that is also because um there the the high end of bark beast is really really high um i don't necessarily always keep bark beast in my open hand because i'm looking for one of two synergies right i'm looking for curse keeper curse keeper ravenous butcher synergy or i'm looking for mist wraith risen mist synergy so i'm kind of going like okay am i going to sack my stuff put a lot of bodies on the board or am i Am I starting the buildup of my mist wraiths as soon as possible and, and trying yeah. to get those five, six attack mist wraiths on the board? And uh, as as clunky as the first two turns can feel with this list, and, and you know, maybe it's just because I had a heart. I mean, I just curse keeper ravenous butcher doesn't show up every time, obviously. Um, so as clunky as one and two might feel, I, I must admit that the Mr. Wraith package is very, very tough for an opponent to deal with. And not only is it, you know, obviously when you're triggering Wraith Caller, which I mean, my build does too. Um, but you know, especially when you start getting those Mr. Wraiths up to the five and six range, it really gets tough on the opponent, uh, to try to deal with things, you know, cleanly. And they're almost always losing whatever they are putting in front of a Mr. Wraith. They're almost always dying. Um, and so anytime I was able to do that, uh, you know, as long as I was able to keep cards in hand, uh, with like stalking shadows Mm -hmm. and, uh, unspeakable horror, as long as I could keep cards in hand, the game was almost always squared away after I hit my third mist wraith. Um, yeah, almost always. And so, so, uh, you know, gripes about one drops aside, the deck is quite potent. Yeah, really enjoying it and something that I have every intention of continuing to play. Just didn't play a lot this week. Did play it some today. And man, the meta turned a, a hard turn into control. I don't know why, but Jesus, man, there was so oh, much frailyard control today. But we're, we're definitely going to talk about that in a minute. But before we get to that, oh, let's, before we get oh, to that, actually, oh, you have one other what thing. Do you, yeah, what do you call your your deck? What is the title of, of your list? It's super your boring. Mystery. What is it? Mono SI aggression. Oh, that is really boring. You it know what I called very descriptive. You know what I called your list? 
Um, Mark's Mist Wraith list. No, I called it Mark's Misty Men. Oh, Mark's Misty Men. That's very nice. Yeah, that's, that's so much right. more. There's a reason I don't submit to Deck Name Game Channel. <laughs> There's a reason, well, there's a little guys. there's a little bit of inspiration for you deck namers out there. Mark's Misty Mist. What was it? Mark, Mark, Mark's Mark, Misty Men. Mark's Misty Men. Uh yeah, so it was fun. Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good deck. Okay, so let's uh let's go ahead. We have a couple of things news-wise. First off, we're going to draw the name for a winner of this month's Discord hat or Legends Cast hat. And so in order to get in the drawing for a giveaway each month, the last episode of each of of each month um you have to be a patreon supporter so go over to patreon.com slash legendscast to consider being a supporter of the show if you get value from the show hopefully you see it in yourself to give value back so consider giving us 25 cents an episode that's one dollar a month we do four episodes a month one buck a month or a dollar an episode four bucks a month whatever you feel like um go over to patreon.com slash legendscast and support us um over there each month we draw from the list of our patrons to choose somebody who might be able to support us. Um, and we do have a couple of new patrons this month, um, I believe. And I, I think I thanked a couple of them, uh, but uh, Corey L, Lawson P, Matthew S were all um, newer patrons in October. And then this newest patron actually came in like the same day that we recorded the last episode. So a new $5 patron, that's Mike P. Thank you so much for supporting the show, Mike. We really yeah, appreciate it. You. You're awesome. Thank you so much. I actually got to hang out with Mike P for a little bit today, which was awesome. And uh, and we just got to chat and connect, which was fantastic. So uh, and we actually have a question that came from Mike P today as well that we're going to that we're definitely going to discuss and go over. But for no further ado, let's go ahead. I think we have like 19 patrons right now, and we're going to go ahead and draw the winner of this month's Legends Cast Discord hat. And the winner is... Aaron H. Aaron H., which, uh, you know, both DBN and I know, I'm like 90% sure. That's Templar. Uh, Templar, congratulations. Yeah. Heck yeah. Templar is the winner of the Legends Cast Discord hat this month. Now, for the record, guys, I also want to point out that Aaron is our biggest supporter. I don't know if you know that, DBN. Aaron Aaron has doubled the monthly support of our other highest supporters. We have a couple $10 supporters, but Aaron is a $20 supporter of the show. Huge supporter of the show. Aaron, thank you so much. I think he's maybe, uh, he's right there. He's tied with Matthew Z, Royal Shine, who won last month. Evidently, the oh more, the more I you swear get, we're not doing this intentionally, I, I swear, guys. I swear, I just realized that. But uh, Matthew Z and Aaron have both donated the, the most money to the show. They're tied, um, which is which is interesting. I didn't even realize that. Um, but uh, thank you, everybody. Thank you for the support. Aaron, go ahead and shoot me your address over on Discord or through email at eslegendscast at gmail.com and I will get your hat shipped out to you and I just have to figure out a way to get it to a different country right now. Um, <laughs> that's, I don't know how you'll I'm going to do drive, that. You'll, you'll have to drive across the border, my friend. Yeah, I don't know. Well, maybe I can get on one side of the border. You can get on the other and I can throw it like a Frisbee across into the, Cana <laughs> across into the Canadian tundra. Um, yeah, I'm not real go. sure how it's going to happen. Throw um, it up into the maple trees. <laughs> <laughs> so if you guys want to support the show, once again, patreon.com slash legendscast and you can support us over there. Thank you guys so much for all of the support. I 
want to go ahead and go over to the question that we got. And then we did have a question in the Discord that we're going to address as well before we dive into our talk about the patch and the KDA uh, thing, which is our discussion for this week. Um, so let's go ahead and take a look at a couple of questions that have come in for the show. Now we're cooking. Okay, we got something from Mike P over on Patreon. When he became a supporter, he wrote, Hey guys, I am a 46-year-old Runeterra junkie. I wonder if I'm your yeah. oldest fan, which he's not, but <laughs> close. Dead Broke Dad listens close. to the show. Um, yeah, Dead Broke Dad. I, I was actually, what's really interesting, and this has nothing to do with anything, but I was looking at the analytics for our show because this thing gives me analytics. And I think we have like, there's like one person, I think we have like one listener in like the 60 plus category. Is that Dead Broke Dad or is he under 60 plus? Uh, he, I, I should know this for sure, but I'm 90% sure he's not 60 yet. Okay, so if he's not 60 <laughs> yet, close. then he's not our oldest listener. Uh, we have 1% of our listeners. So actually, 1% kind of sizable if you think about, I don't know, what like whatever 1% of, of like 600 people. So uh, I shouldn't even be giving analytics out on the show. But so like six people in the 60 plus category um, who listen to the show, which is which is interesting. Um, but OK, anyway, we're going to go back to the question. He says this. Um, I think you guys are putting on a great show. So thank you for the content. Here's my question. Do you ever play certain champs and then realize, man, I just do not not enjoy playing this champ to the point that it makes you feel it makes you take a break from the game for a day this happened to me when playing <laughs> leona the other day i'm like man i can't stand the need to play all of these daybreak cards i find <laughs> i like a deck that in some way has two win conditions i am having some success in gold right now playing trundle vi the sump works map has been working to give elusive and i have loaded up on starlet seers i also use a couple of chef zevs i don't even know what that is um and has mm -hmm. produced some big cards with a spread out board thank you again for putting on such a great show love it so the question is do you ever play a champ and just be like i hate this so much i'm done for the day <laughs> i'm packing um, it in <laughs> <laughs> maybe not a, maybe not a champ uh, that I enough that I would quit, but that's likely because I didn't play it in the first place. I think I have a pretty good read on, uh, you know, after all these years playing on how champs are going to pilot. And uh, if they're not, if, if I kind of don't think they're going to be fun, I just don't play them. I mean, I'm looking, so just for context, right? Like I'm looking at the list of champs. Uh, by this point, I've played all of the older ones. Uh, the the one that took me the longest of all the base game champs is Lucian. Um, and, you know, the only reason I ever played Lucian in um, in the list we just talked about, the old version of my SI list, was just because it matched up with the dying thing. Uh, you know, it wasn't even that, like, he was very fun to play. He was kind of boring, you know? Just, got a, just a dude with quick attack, and you have to kind of jump through some hoops to get him leveled. And even when he's leveled, you know, he really is kind of kind of dull you know you can't still really, bad. i'm much yeah still kind of yeah boring right fiora same thing i never really i oh i hated fiora right at the beginning but that's because alt wind conditions annoy me uh <laughs> but the thing is is like i'll look at uh, champs and i'll look at them and just and kind of see how does this want to play and if it's not my thing i just i'll stay away away from it uh let's see of all the champions let's see and this is probably bad i mean maybe this is like throwing my credentials under out of the window right 
Um, but I'm nah, looking at all the people champs. People don't listen to this because of credentials. That's definitely okay. True. Good. <laughs> Phew. Uh, <laughs> of all these champs, I still have not played a single match with Braum. Uh, oh, you no. know I played some Braum, <laughs> bro. You know I've been playing some Braum. <laughs> uh, I still haven't played a game with Maokai. I still haven't played a game with uh, uh, TK. And I still haven't played a game with... Well, I haven't played a ranked game uh, with Lulu. Okay. So... Yeah, um, you know what? I, I have definitely have probably just as many champs that I've never played a game with. So you just kind of sometimes you look at a champ and you just say, this isn't my cup of tea, man. I mean, you the deck might be good even, you know, I mean, I, like um, Gibbles and Bits. Uh, I mean, he, he, so G- Gibbles and Bits is one of the guys that I've talked about him before. One of the guys in our Discord, but also my best friend. And we've played card games together for years now. Hearthstone, a little bit of Tesla, though he didn't get as much into it. You know, Legend of the Five Rings. And we love talking about decks and just kind of sharing different builds we make. And, and he built a Lulu deck that he loved and adored. And, you know, and I just looked at Lulu and I said, you know, this is an interesting card, but I know that I am not going to enjoy that play style. And so I just never tried it, you know. And so uh, that might be a little bit of a cop out, but I certainly understand the sentiment of a champion being that core tenant that you base a deck around. If the champ ain't fun, you're not going to have fun. <laughs> you yeah. know, it doesn't I mean, matter what the other cards around it are. I have never played Vladimir Tom Kench, Soraka, or Lulu either. I mean, never even in a deck. Like, um, have not have yet to place them in a deck and play them because they just weren't interesting to me. So, to answer uh, answer Mike's question, yes. Like, and, and but maybe I wouldn't say Leona is that for me. I got bored. <laughs> I got bored with Leona, but it it didn't frustrate me. Like, it was like, okay, I see what you do. I know what you are. I can. I can do this in my sleep. I'm not going to keep playing this. Um, there's, there's certainly something to be said about Leona's requirement to include a whole bunch of cards, you know, which BBG actually talked about a little bit last week saying how, you know, a lot of these Targon guys seem to want you to play certain card packages as opposed to things like Twisted Fate or <laughs> like uh, Sejuani or it's just good on its own. even, you know, that it's just good on its own that does stuff without you needing to do too much else right and obviously those things are going to be better with certain packages over other but you can just play thresh in a deck you, you know you don't need it to be uh you yeah. know completely built around yeah so the two champions that i would say are interesting because they're the same mana cost i'm going to see if dbn can guess them they are oh. the same mana cost champions and mm. I've played them both, and both of them have frustrated me with the way I have to build their decks enough and how bad they are that I have quit playing them and quit playing Ruterra for the day. What two champions with equal mana cost do you think they are? Can I guess the mana cost first? You can. Statistically, I think the best shot I have is a five drop. Well, if you want to go with statistics. Okay. Um, so go with the statistics. Well, okay, no, 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 oh, no, don't go with statistics. All right, maybe it's four drops then. Uh, so I'm gonna say Jinx and I'm gonna say Shen. Okay, it's Timo and Fizz. 
Timo and oh, Fitz. Boo. What? They were, they you were... don't like Timo? No. Well, he, no, no, no. It's not that I don't like him. It's that he is. I've had to build the deck so much around putting the puff caps in the deck with Timo and then not winning games over and over and over again because people either remove Timo or they just never drew the 450 billion puff caps I put in their deck. <laughs> um, you... <laughs> that that I just get frustrated. And Fizz is the same way. Fizz is like the the amount of build around to put Fizz in your deck for the payoff yeah. that you get out of him is just bad um fizz, fizz uh there there is a deck that you can play fizz in it is a meme but it can win that's the start, but i like, know what you're saying dead. yeah she's but he's bad other than that but you know fizz needs fit i you know fizz might be creeping up there in the list of cards that needs a rework or maybe just maybe just needs a straight up buff you know but is it's a cool concept, but yeah, Fizz needs Fizz needs some love for sure. I will say, man, you ought to message BBG and get that Sejuani Timo list off of them, uh, because you know it's going to open your your eyes to an, a whole new way to play Timo. It is one of the funnest lists, I think, in terms of just the hilarity that ensues, but it's also quite playable. Um, and plus, you know, you're a big Sejuani guy, so I you am. get Sejuani leveled up pretty easily with that list. Yeah, I am a Sejuani guy, and I actually have seen that deck do some really cool stuff. So Dude, you got to check it out. I, I probably do need to play it. Honestly, I think just to be completely honest, I think I just took a break from Frailyord. Like it, between Bilgewater and Target, no, I, I don't played, believe you. I Lies. played so much Frailyord, dude. I just played nothing but Ash. You're from the Frailyord like, guy, but from like open beta until Targan, I played Ash. That was like my only <laughs> champion. Like I just played so many Ash decks, and now I'm like uh, I'm on like I'm on like the Shadow Isle. I, it just seems like in between, like with expansions, mm -hmm. like I, I played Lee Sin and Leona, and then uh, and then when this most recent stuff came out with TK Soraka, I went straight Shadow Isles, and I I just I tend to get attached to a deck. I really only get super creative and deck building sort of. One either I need to grind and I look up a deck and I try something new, like when I hit plat last time with TF Swain in one day, um, or whenever I like new cards come out. And the funny part is, is that my favorite part about new cards coming out is looking at them and say, OK, if everyone's playing this, how am I going to beat this? That's my favorite part of of new cards, which is why I ended up going Shadow Isles aggro with Fearsome because I was like. Tom Kench, Soraka, everyone's going to be playing it and it will be vulnerable to Fearsome. So I'm going to play, you know, Fearsome aggro and then I get hooked on the deck and then I don't stop playing it until a new set of cards come out. So just plan on me playing Shadow Isles Aggression until like December when the next set of cards comes out. We get two more, three more champs. I just, I thought I knew you. I, I thought, I thought we had this, this thing. You were, and, you, know, you were Noxus, I was Frailjord. Here you, you know, I just I thought I understood the dynamic here, but now I just it's a whole new co-host I'm talking about. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> we got one other question that came in from the Discord. DBN, why don't you uh, bring up that question and we'll talk about that. Yeah, so uh, we did get a question, and this does kind of tie into the balance. Um, so maybe we want to hold off on it. Um, it's from Escher. The question is, with the changes that we see today to lease in and make it rain, can you both clarify the importance of card costs and how useful a card is? It's easier to see if a card is good or bad by looking at its stats or damage dealt, but does cost really matter here? Um, that's, so, and that's a really good question. Well, and, you know, it's set within the context of lease in and make it rain. And, and I mean, I think we both could answer that, but I think the bigger question is, you know, when looking at cards and their effectiveness, 
why I, I think Escher has kind of been dancing on the issue of here. Why is card cost important um, from a, you know, from a technical standpoint, you know, from a theory standpoint? Yeah, uh, you know, and, and be honest with you, like, I don't know that I have the brain for that as much as a lot of other people do. You know, it would be like the type of thing where if Endozoa could be on the show, that would <laughs> like he, he would he would be so in depth that most You'd of us wouldn't it. know what was happening. Um, yeah. But you know, I think that there there has to do a lot with sort of like, OK, at what point in the game can something happen? Right. And uh, and then what 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 options are there to respond to that thing when it happens? So, for example, why was uh, why was Will of Ionia at four so much more effective and so much more viable than Will of Ionia at four? Five. And I think largely it was because there are so many champions that come on at four, right? And Will of Ionia was capable of, in some ways, was capable of responding to the four drop champions of the game. When it went to five, it was no longer able to respond oftentimes to the four drop champions quite as easily. We do have spell mana, which changes things up a little bit. But I think that uh, for me, anyway, when I look at, okay, when a card's mana cost has changed. Now, spells are a little unique in Legends of Runeterra, but when a card's mana cost, a creature or champion's mana cost changes, it looks like, okay, what is now capable of responding to this card? What other champ is capable of responding to this card? What spells are more likely going to be able to respond to this card? You know, was this champ Previously, it could be played and there was no way for an opponent to play Vengeance. But now because it's coming on turn online on turn four, if my opponent has three spell mana banked, they now can cast Vengeance on it. I think that there's a lot of things like that that you have to take into account when you're looking at cost. Um, the And the tempo of the game is also something that you have to take into account, which matters a lot. Now, with specifically Lee Sin, we'll talk about this. I'm not sure how much it matters because we talked last episode. Barrier is a big issue with Lee Sin. Um, but I do think it's important to note that, you know, that's one more round that if it goes up in cost, it's, it's one more round that an aggressive deck can get its strategy online. If it goes down in cost, it's one turn earlier that you can begin working on your combo or taking dominance over the board. Um, and that one turn can make all the difference if it's a if it's a difference between that and your opponent having some sort of an ability to counter it because they have that one extra mana. Because it isn't just one card coming up or down. It is an enormous range of cards that become into effect or go out of effect because of the change in mana cost. So it's it's when a card changes mana, it is... Um, it is interacting with the entire card library and the entire environment around it um, whenever it does that, which is why Lee Sin dropping from six mana down to four mana originally um, opened up a ton of opportunity because there was a lot less things that would be able to respond to it. And a it was a lot harder to protect him the turn that he came down. Um, so that's my initial thought. DBM, what are you thinking, though, when it comes to the cost of a card? When is it the when is it like really impactful? When is it not so impactful? Uh, do you have any insight on like the difference between spells and followers in this game when it comes to the cost of cards? G give me some insight. Well, so first off, I think everybody needs to, if, if they were kind of 
you know, if I know how I am when I listen to podcasts, I kind of do it while I work on other things sometimes or I'm cleaning up around the apartment. Um, but if you get to this point and you found that, oh, man, Mark was saying some stuff, really good stuff there, but I was in the middle of doing something. You should go ahead and rewind and listen to that because that's a pretty much a clinic on why on answering that question. I really don't have that much more to add. Um I mean, it really is. It has everything to do with when something can come down in the pace of the game, not necessarily if it's efficient for the cost. And so I think the only thing I would like not even edit, but just add on is that um, just for context, just because a card um, goes up or down and cost specifically in this case, let's say up just because a character goes up and its stats are compensated uh, to be competitive up at that stat new stat block um, that still doesn't take out of effect. Uh, all of the different ranges of interactions that Mark was talking about. So you could have a three mana three three, and it gets buffed up to a four mana four five. You might look at that and you can say, "Oh my gosh, these stats are so much better, right?" Uh, but if the effect is not going to be as potent on four as it is on three, um, then you're going to see a uh, still more than likely you're going to see a decline in that card's play because really, w- just playing stats is nice. Um, but the game is at the point where you don't really need to play uh, just raw stats. It's kind of like in, in OG Hearthstone, where in the base uh, version of the game, you had that four mana, four five, and people would play it because there was not competition at that slot. But eventually, despite probably having better stats than the average four drop, uh, effects just are that much more po- like potent. So you're not really going to play a card just purely for the stats, kind of like Loyal Badger Bear. Saw a little bit of play doesn't see as much play anymore um you know you just and loyal badger bear end up getting nerfed down right to a three four sure yeah so i mean it's just it's just a matter of just because it's competitively statted that's not as important as card effects um and so Mm -hmm. if an effect becomes less useful at that new cost that's more important than if it it becomes or if it remains competitively statted um and i think something else that's important to keep in mind too and i I don't want to i don't want to cut you off here to the end but is also you have to keep in mind what what type of deck does this fit into right yeah because Mm -hmm. in a let's say you're playing a frail yord tempo style deck that's just playing consistently turn one two three four five six overstated minions every turn right um demasi wanted to do this at one point as well um then that looks that looks way way different in terms of changing the stat or stat to to um, cost ratio than let's say a combo deck that isn't really worried as much about the stats just as worried about when you can get online which is why a change to least ends cost and a bump in his health really doesn't make that big of an impact well the the bump to his health doesn't really matter a whole lot he could have stayed the same exact health and gone up to five because the impact is is that health change because he's a combo tool so it, it does it does matter sort of the context of what deck that card is good in as well yeah, and it also just one last thing. It also matters on what it is now competing with at that mana cost. Yes, that's also um, very important. Right. And so I mean, if you took a champ, let's say for context, I'm going to say um misfortune, right? If you took misfortune and you bumped misfortune uh up a mana cost, um or rather like let's say you bumped one of them down a mana cost, right? But if all of a sudden you have both of your champions and, and BBG even mentioned this too and we kind of talked about it briefly, you know, you kind of want to make sure largely that your characters are not the same mana cost. I mean that was it's one of those things where you want to be able to curve them out together mm-hmm. um ideally. Uh, and there's exceptions to the rule, but um 
you know, generally speaking, if you start, if you took, uh, you know, two, two cards that want to be played uh, consecutively, and now all of a sudden they would have, you have to choose between the two, more than likely one of them is going to get cut, uh, especially if they have complementary effects instead of redundant effects. And that's a, that's kind of an, a different topic in deck building, uh, but complementary or synergy and then redundancy uh, are two very different things when you're looking at where cards are on a curve. Mm-hmm. And I think the last thing to point out, at least, is that you have to realize, too, that this is true for champions and followers. There is a little unique aspect to Legends of Runeterra with spells, because spells can come out earlier. And the big swap for spells, right, that we see is from three to four. When a spell goes from three to four, and it it is a huge difference. It is a a really large impact. Um, And because you can't cast it from spell mana, that's unique to Runeterra. I guess one other thing is, is that the lower the cost of the card, the more impactful the change to mana typically is. So, for example, a two-cost card going to three-cost, like Make It Rain, is pretty stinking impactful um, because it was a two-cost card. Whereas if you take an eight-cost card and make it a nine-cost, yes, it comes down a turn later, but oftentimes it doesn't have quite as big of an impact. Um, it, there are exceptions to that. I would if you say get to, if you to that, well, but. If you get to turn eight, you're probably going to get to turn nine, mm-hmm. right? Um, and But if you're on turn... like the, the games are decided on the average of like turn four. Yeah, like on largely. average, game the games will get decided on turn four. Now, that's not saying the game's over, and there are certainly opportunities for comebacks. But like a, most games are decided around turn four on average, and that's because that is when um, both aggro and mid range are hitting their peaks, and that's when a mid range against an aggro or a control against a mid range or an aggro deck is going to have to start turning the game around in their favor, whether that's by healing, whether that's by cementing the board state, uh, putting creatures that threats of their own out. The bottom line is turns turn four on average. Maybe you can make an argument it's turn five depending on the situation, um, but that is really when the game and the board state are being decided. And so the cards that are impactful at that point are going to be the most mana efficient cards. Mm-hmm. Whereas in, if you're playing a deck that wants to do something crazy cool in the late stages, it doesn't really matter if the card costs eight or nine or seven or eight. In some cases it might. And we've seen cards uh, get nerfed uh, by going up a mana cost and it really hurts them, especially characters but when it comes to spells because you have that buffer of spell mana um you know a one point increase or decrease in the higher end matters a lot less than when it does in the earlier parts of the game where by forfeiting my turn one and turn two to get three spell mana i'm leaving the board open against decks that want to take it Mm -hmm. by turn eight or nine if i'm control i should have i probably am winning the game if i'm playing that eight or nine cost card yeah because i got this far (laughs) <laughs> and I think that the the one thing in there is like tempo plays are are unique in this in the fact that 
um, higher cost cards getting swapped on like mid-range decks that want to play really high tempo can disrupt your curve. So for example, that's why if you played back in the open beta, when Rasha went from seven to eight, it was a big deal because you were playing Hecarim six, Rasha seven. And when you had a, had a turn there where you're like, well, now I don't know what I'm playing on seven because Rasha is now eight. Um, maybe I'm playing Rekindler. Maybe I'm not. What in, in, I think Rekindler was six at the time. Um, you know, yeah. it, it made that turn seven really clunky and people didn't really know what to do with it. And so I think, you well, know, that's the, that's the flip side of that's That's the flip side of what we talked about when it comes to um, what is it competing with at that mana cost is also removes that and says now, well, what am I losing by not being able to curve something? They're, they're one of the same. They're, you know, two, two sides of the same coin. Yeah, you know, exactly. And, and so you, it's not just the context of what am I playing against? It's also what am I playing it with? How does it affect the synergy and the pacing of the game? And you're totally right. I mean, Rasa getting, you know, the, the nerf and not having that ideal curve. And, you know, uh, there is definitely still, despite being a generally, I think, a late game, at least a a faction with late game tendencies, uh, SI, although obviously, as we know, you can play aggro, um, but their control is is pretty notable and has been for a long time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There is not a lot of options in that top end for that faction or really any faction. For the options up at the top end are, uh, I think, a big area of improvement, I'll say, uh, for yeah. for the game. Um, well, and so Riot clearly wants this game to be played between turns four and five, mostly. Well, they want the games to be decided between turn four and five, four and five. Um, but but I think that having more options and more ways to play up there. I mean, I've I think I've I've been on record saying I felt like instead of when we were talking about Rex getting nerfed, which in, Rex ended up not getting nerfed. Not yet. Um, but not Grif- yet. But Grifter got nerfed, which I think was a smart choice. Uh, compared to Rex. But I mean, when everyone was calling for a Rex nerf, my statement was, why don't we just make more options? Because a lot of people weren't complaining necessarily that Rex was too strong, although that I think it was at the time. A lot of people were also just simply complaining, hey, why would I play anything else in the top end besides Rex? Right? Which is a great question. And, which is a great question and totally valid. And that's from a, not from a power perspective, but from a fun perspective, you want players to say, Ooh, do I want to play Rex here? Ooh, or maybe I can play the siren or the dread way. Oh man, I've got all these cool iconic ships. Let's do something with them. Let's make them a little more potent. So I think that that's definitely, like I said, area of improvement for the new year. Uh, for the Runeterra design team. Uh, I just want to see more options at that top end. Instead of handing me in Freljord, instead of handing me Uzgar the Ancient. Which is trash. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. You know what? You know what I think would have made Uzgar really cool? Wow. Uh, just no completely idea. off, completely off topic. I think I think what would have made Uzgar really cool is saying um uh Uzgar starts in your opening hand. Oh, like kind of like a there? quest in Hearthstone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you know maybe. because it because we he's, a, the he's, a, he's like yeah for the behold package and for the trolls and whatnot. I think I think if you had Uzgar or maybe you know that's why I think Uzgar as opposed to like a spell where you can cheat it out early. I think having that like he's the ancient one. You know if we're trying if that's kind of the theme of behold and then I'm gonna get out this big you know beefy you know, angry troll man right. Sure. Um, 
why not let it start in your hand to really get those behold triggered? I think that's the biggest thing missing from behold right now is a way to consistently get an eight drop into your hand and not have to run like five, eight drops. <laughs> Which is hard to do. It's hard to do. And and also kind of a frustrating thing as both a deck builder, but as a player as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can agree with that. Well, I tell you what, let's we we've talked to questions. We do have some stuff to talk about. Why don't we go ahead and move on to the main topic for today, which is going to be uh the the patch that we've had and the new cards coming out in the KDA uh event. Time for the main event. Okay, guys, there was a patch that came out. We're going to talk about it briefly. We already talked about it in Q&A, but uh, basically two things. Lee Sin went up from four mana to five mana and from a three, four to a three, five. So one health, one mana and make it rain went from two mana to three mana. We just talked about some of the reasons that mana adjustment is such a big deal in this game. Um, But DBN, did you have anything else beyond that? I mean, I think we both kind of feel kind of similar. Um, am, am I right? Kind of, we, we both feel kind of similar about the changes that happened with the, with the new one. It, it's, it's not, maybe not quite strong enough for our liking. Um, we'll see about Lee Sin. Um, uh, I, it's definitely, an, obviously it's a nerf, obviously, but I think it is going to slot into, you know, a lot closer to old Lee Sin. Old Lee Sin wasn't a problem. Had the same effect, still got barrier, but just came on later in the game. Um, you know, you can... Part of Lee Sin is that when it comes to his his stat block, you have to think too about how early you can play Lee Sin and then play mana for spells. So in a way, the mana cost is even more important for Lee Sin than it would be for something else because his effect is based on you playing more stuff. And having the mana to do so, mm-hmm. right? Um, on uh, six, the issue tended to be, um, you know, if you played him on curve, you probably didn't have any more than three mana to play with other things, and plus, you probably are playing that mana to get by, um, and that was a little too hard to use. Although I think there were decks that did it well, like with the gems and whatnot. Um, and I mean, I, I still stand by the fact that if Lee Sin hadn't gotten uh buffed we might have seen a Tarek lee sin deck like start performing really well i think that there was something there even with him at six mana uh, i think with him at five mana, it kind of bridges that gap a little bit better where like you're not getting him down so early that they can't kill him before you get to the next turn where you can start spamming spells um but now you're in this middle ground where you're not quite going to be you know sitting there playing him on a turn on turn six for six mana and then saying now what do i do with him right um, but you'll be somewhere in that middle of like, okay, I can get him down like somewhat early. I may not have like too much mana to work with here. Um, or if he comes down, <laughs> oh, God bless you. Whoa. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, the sneeze of the dragon right there. Um, if Lee Sin comes down at, uh, at five, I just think it's going to be somewhere in the middle. You're not going to be able to storm away with the game against aggro. Uh, but you're also going to be able to have a little bit more mana if you play them later in the game to work with. It's just it's splitting the difference. I was so surprised to see them jump down two mana in the first place. So I I actually have high hopes for this because I, I as much as we talk complained about his you know the the fact that he's a win con combined with like protection uh, in the same you know same card. Um, we do have to look back and remember that six mana Lee Sin was pretty irrelevant. So. 
Yeah. Maybe this is the sweet spot. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, six man Elise in was not great. That's definitely true. <laughs> yeah. Now, as for make it rain, I guess we're seeing this predominantly because of like TF Swain and how good this is for, I guess, just, I mean, okay. Bilgewater is in this weird place right now where they've gotten a lot of their stuff nerfed over time. Mm -hmm, And -hmm. I know we talked about the power level of the faction, but it definitely doesn't feel good to keep seeing them get hit. You know, um, first it was the plunder card, which now doesn't see play another spell that went from two to three, by the way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Now that card doesn't see play. Uh, You had the nerf to Yordle Grifter. Now that card sees significantly less play. Yes. Which I I think that was a good one. Arguably, I mean, I think that was the best nerf that they made was the Grifter one. I don't really, I still don't really agree with the Plunder one, the Pilfered Goods. I still don't agree with that that nerf. Mm -hmm. And this one concerns me. This is an iconic, this is their iconic removal card. This this makes Bilgewater worth playing and i'll be honest this is it's like nerfing easy. mystic shot this is like nerfing mystic shot this is like nerfing single combat mm-hmm. you know um and that scares me for the longevity of um of Bilgewater, especially because and i hate to say this but the bigger issue i think is 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 your boy swain i mm. mean at what point are we gonna see the the idea that like maybe maybe Swain TF maybe the Swain TF issue is the fact that it's Swain because we're seeing they nerfed Ezreal but once they removed the grifter we really just don't see as much um, you know as as much Bilgewater decks kind of being farmed to other factions like we did uh, before grifter before you know but i think the grifter nerf was the was the great one but now it's kind of swing tf you had that time where it was like tf ezreal and there was a build that kind of like went full allegiance but i don't think it was quite as good and it's kind of fallen off to my to my knowledge and then the um the pirate builds run this but it's not like integral necessarily i i don't feel uh to the uh you know to the success rate i I just you don't like it I, I just, it, it hurts, man. I mean, I, I really like Bilgewater. Bilgewater and Noxus are my two favorite factions. Um, and I just I, I just think about Make It Rain, and I, I want, I, I think about all the uh, other builds of Bilgewater. Like, specifically, I'm focusing on, like, my um, kind of mid-rangey keg build, you know? Sure. Um, that's, like, TF and Gangplank, and it's playing, it's, like, very mid-rangey, and it's mostly, not quite full allegiance, but, like, pretty close. It's only grabbing a couple Noxus removal cards. Uh, and it really just is this kind of, um, it's got a lot of burst damage, but it doesn't have a lot of boards, you know, bodies on board, but the you know bodies it does have are important. And it really needed make it rain at, at two costs to really help you A, push some damage, but B, you know, clear things out because of your ability to pair it with the kegs. Um, but, you know, without the kegs, you're getting three damage for two, but it's spread out randomly. I just don't see how that is a, you know, the only reason why this is so strong is because you're able to play it cheaply and it contributes uh, to the Swain level up. Yeah. Am I, I mean, and what am I missing here? I guess I, I feel, I'm sure I'm missing something. I, I guarantee you, 
if Silver Fuse or BBG came on the show, they would tell me all the reasons why Make It Rain needs to go, and they're probably right. But I just look at where is Bilgewater going to go from here now that like another of their iconic cards is getting, you know, nerfed. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So here, so here's where I am with it. I'm like, I I think that this isn't bad right now. Um, in the so I think in the current state of where the game is, because I think they needed to hit something around Swain TF. And the reality is, is the the card that uh, the keg card, the two mana that draws has a keg, and then into this clearing the board is an insanely effective turn two, turn three option. I mean, it is, it is just, it is very, a very, 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 very effective option to be able to slow down aggressive decks against TF Swain. Um, and I, I'm not going to deny that that's the case because I, I, I really believe that. Um, in, in basically any game where I've gone up against TF Swain, if they had that, the game oftentimes just ended at that point. Um, and I did find that to be frustrating on, on multiple times. So I see it. I wouldn't mind seeing this go back whenever we're kind of in a different situation. Does that make sense? Like I, I, well, I, I, I could see them taking this to three and then in the future when other factions are stronger or they balance some stuff other places that uh, that build like some of the other cards and other factions are kind of on par that Bilgewater gets this card back again at that level. Um, I could see that being a, a real possibility. If the if the argument is um, if if the argument is that the keg creating uh, two drop, which gosh, I'm I'm blanking on the name right, uh, Dreadway Deckhand. If the argument that Dreadway Deckhand into Make It Rain is too good, then I guess my argument would be why not take Dreadway Deckhand up a cost instead of make it rain? Because that's going to have a much smaller range of impact on the viability of Bilgewater. Not all Bilgewater wants to play Dreadway Deckhand, you know, uh, versus most of Bilgewater wants to play make it rain. Yeah, you almost always want to have make it rain. Here. Right. I mean, you're losing, you're not losing, I mean, I'm not saying that people are going to completely cut it, but you are definitely, you're, you know, in, the mana cost has increased by 50%. You know, yeah, it's I mean, a big change. It's a big jump. And, uh, you know, if if really that two, three wombo combo is the problem, break up the wombo combo from the card that gets played less, you know? Um, yeah, I, I and, think. And I mean, you could change the you could change Dreadway. I was honestly thinking, why not? If Dreadway Deckhand uh, was three mana, three, three, it would still be good. Right. You just you just could, you know, you'd have to play Dreadway Deckhand and on three and then still have two mana left over uh to play make it range and it means you couldn't have played a two drop yeah 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 uh yeah I, you know i here's my thing i don't think it's enough and i'm not really sure that i love the change to it i i do think that bilge is really strong and i don't think it's bad that bilge is seeing some changes but i don't know that that was the change that bilge needed um I just i just i guess i'm just i just want to push back on the idea that the faction is strong as opposed to a couple decks that abuse the faction hmm mm. you know yeah, yeah, I, I, I think, I think I agree with that comment. I don't know that I do, hundred percent. I don't know. I mean, I guess like gangplank, like pirate aggro. Uh, I don't know. I think it's been displayed that 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 bilgewater has consistently been something really strong to combine stuff with. 
maybe just because it's combined, but I just, I don't know. This is the third card in a row that just makes me worry that it's going to lose viability the that make it the viability and, and the things that make it unique and interesting. And eventually it'll be a pile of nerfed cards. Maybe I'm just being <laughs> fatalistic here, but it'll just be a pile of nerfed cards with potential. Um, I mean, I, I yeah. I just would have preferred. I mean, look, uh, here's the other thing. I mean, we're still sitting here with PNZ being completely, you know, useless. Oh, yeah. Just, just right? hot trash. I mean, at what point, at what point, if PNZ got a round of buffs across the board, if the champs were much more relevant, do you think maybe that would shake things up and then Bilgewater wouldn't get away with so many shenanigans? Uh, you know, I, I, I mean, definitely think that PNZ's weakness plays into uh, Bilgewater's strength. Well, it does now, but who knows what it would look like in the future. I mean, I'm just saying, like... Well, what, I, what I'm saying is I think that Bilgewater would not look as strong if PNC had some stronger answers because PNC is typically the deck that... The faction that has all of, like, the, well, you know, the, the answers that you need. And, and this... When it doesn't have any of those answers because it's just not playable because it doesn't have good enough creatures, which is really a, a yeah. core of the problem with that deck... Um. Yeah. I, before I, uh, before Bilgewater, PNZ was the faction that everyone paired with to get efficient, yeah, damage based removal. And now it's Bilgewater, and PNZ hasn't been you know adjusted to compensate. And of course, I I still kind of question. I and maybe I I didn't think I questioned it at the time, but I think I questioned in hindsight the Vi nerf. Um. Yeah. You know because yeah, where is Vi now? You know. Um. And I mean that hindsight's twenty twenty, man. I mean, I'm I'm not begrudging them for that, but but you know, it kind of like Targon, PNZ has very specific champions. You, Jinx is almost unplayable outside of discard. Heimerdinger requires an entire deck built around him, kind of like Yasuo or or someone like that, or Leona, where you just you have to build completely mm-hmm. around him. Um, Ezreal has been nerfed at least once and already just is kind of I think again nerfed maybe twice maybe twice either way it's a, yet another card that you have to completely build around and Timo, while you don't have to build around it he's not a card that's really going to affect the viability of a game state so much as he's a, a supplementary champ you know Timo, you can play in an aggro deck and oh cool it's an it's an elusive one drop great I'll play it for aggro, right? Mm-hmm. I've done that before. Or you could say, okay, I, you know, I want to, you know, do a fun like puff cat build. Okay. But you know, you how many games are really won and lost by Timo himself, as much as the strategy that you just said, oh, Timo's not bad here. Um, and so really the only kind of champ that allowed you to play any kind of non-scripted game plan was Vi. Mm-hmm. Every other game plan was completely scripted. And, you know, as I think we've talked about before, there's a big difference in terms of like both skill cap, but also in viability of scripted game plans. I've talked about this before as combo. I've always kind of critiqued combo for being everyone thinks combo is this really hard, you know, uh, deck and only the best players play combo. And I really just completely disagree. Combo, not to begrudge people who play combo. I'll do it sometimes, too. But combo is a script. As long as you know what the script is, as long as you're, you know, an actor can study a script and deliver his lines, you know, efficiently, right? And 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 you know, uh, but but really, um, it does. It's not improv, right? <laughs> and that's the difference, I think, between like combo and something like mid range. Mid range is like the the deck that 
is is almost like an improv show as opposed to a scripted theater performance you know and you don't necessarily need to know why everything works a certain way uh in a combo deck or you know how to change it up based on certain situations you just know that if a combo deck is good enough you just follow the script and eventually you win or you lose and in and in games where and in environments where a combo deck is very very strong you know as long as you put the hours in to to memorize those lines or to mm-hmm. get games in to know those combo pieces and the ordering you can do it it's, you uh, you don't have to make any complex decisions right um and so like that's kind of what we look at with these PNZ champs. And I just wonder if, you know, PNZ got a round of changes and maybe they've got a, an awesome PNZ champ. That's really going to just completely shake things up in two months from now. Um, that's really going to have everyone saying, wow, PNZ is so strong now. And, you know, but I, I, I think it's a little sad to see the state of PNZ and arguably Noxus, but that's another thing because I can't really say that when Swain is good, but, the rest of the Noxus champs, you guys know how I feel about that. Yeah, I'm yeah, not I mean, going to talk about it more. Swing, swing, but like, strong. but but dang, I mean, and Vi, of course, being that only champ that really allowed you to kind of play that flexible, adaptive game plan, and it and it got you know what I honestly I felt wasn't as big of a nerf as other people thought, but it re- I was wrong. I mean, going from five to four is huge. It is, yeah, five to four, even it, with was a big tough, jump, which I thought was going to be okay, but. Yeah, going from five to four was huge. So yeah, it was unfortunate to see. And I just wonder if 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 this was in a better state, if Bilgewater wouldn't be, you know, a quote unquote oppressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that there's something to be said there. Uh, once again, these these cards don't exist in a vacuum. They exist amongst the other cards in the game, and you need to take that sort of stuff into account whenever you're looking at this. Um, but yeah. let's move on, because we, we've talked about this quite a bit. It, it is important, but there's also something else that's important, and that is that we got the new KDA stuff. Um, now, a lot of people were throwing shade about this KDA stuff because, of course, it's like <laughs> alternate universe. Um, it's alternate universe stuff. It's champions that we don't have in the game. So if you logged in and you're like what in the heck is happening um so here's what's going on we have a new event this event sort of combines with the overall riot universe event um which is sort of like these k-pop stars so uh once again if you're these champions in in league of Mm -hmm. legends yeah they are they they are champions is it just alternate skins or champions no 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 They're, they're they're alternate skins and and full champions okay Okay. They're alternate skins. So the the champions are uh what? They're Kaisa, uh Ari, um Kaisa, Ari, Akali and like a couple of others and I, I can't even remember exactly what they all are. But they are all legitimate League of Legends champions, okay? And we don't have them in this game yet though. They're in League. Some of them have been in TFT, but they are not in this game. So we don't have any of the five members of this of, of, of a kind of like the featured of these. You're going to get like uh, card backs and stuff with these sort of scantily dressed characters and you're not really sure who they are. That's because if you don't play League of Legends, you're simply not going to know who they are. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. Okay, so they released that. We don't have any of these champions actually in the game yet, which, uh, you know, obviously that has upset a few people, and I sort of understand why that is. Um, but we did get a lot of new shiny stuff, and we got one, five new cards as well for five different factions, actually the five original factions. We got one card for each of the original factions that we get to talk about tonight. Now, we've had a lot of opinions. A lot of people have been upset about the KDA being introduced, so so not only is this five champions that we don't have in the game yet, these are five alternate universe champions. Like these are alternate universe versions of five champions that we don't even have yet. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's Ari. She's like the five tailed fox, which is the first card back and stuff that you're going to unlock through this. Um, and she is, I don't know, I don't even know what faction she comes from, but she comes from one of the regions and she doesn't look anything like you know, what we're, what we're going to get in this, right? So this is, Ari is not only not in the game, but she, the, her universe isn't even in our game yet. So there's a lot of immersion that's being broken here for people and they're not in love. So it's Ari, I believe it's a Kali. I literally have no idea who the third one is. It might be the diva. I think might be, could be Syndra. I'm not real sure. I'll be honest. Um, the dancer, I'm like 95% sure is Kaisa. Um, I think that Sonia is the rising star and that might be all of them. So like, I'm not even hundred percent sure who each of them are because I can't tell by the skins that are on them. I'd be able to tell you if they didn't have their skins on them, but because of their skins, like I really can't tell what they are. Um, I know, which I, know com- are. I completely know what you meant. Well, when you kept saying, yeah, I can't tell what their skins on them. I'm like, oh, so if you looked at their skeleton, you could tell. Uh, <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. Don't well, laugh at that. Well, Don't laugh at that. I mean, it's a bad joke. <laughs> when I, but if you're confused, but there may legitimately be That's people just... who play this game who've not played League of Legends. So League of Legends <laughs> popularized skins, which is basically an alternate artwork version of your champion. Oh, I completely knew what you're talking about, but I just kept laughing to myself about, oh, man, if only I saw their nervous system. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if I saw their nervous if I if I saw their bones, I would know. Um, <laughs> if I only saw their bones, yeah. There's only oh, one who I'm completely unsure. And now that I'm looking, there's no way she's Syndra because she has like weird, like bony things on her hands. So it's it's definitely Akali, Kaisa, Sonia, and Ari. And then the last one, I'm honestly not sure who she is. She's she's the one that's wearing like bondage l- lingerie kind of. Uh, <laughs> So, DBN, yeah. tell me, what was your overall thought? Like, you, so you got hit with all of this stuff that's like very out of what we've experienced in Runeterra so far. Did you have any initial thoughts about sort of like art direction or adding in stuff that's completely outside of what we have? Or don't um, you care? You're like, I just don't care. No, I mean, I have thoughts. They're just not like, I guess, strong. I guess I just see everyone's point. Like a lot of people like it breaks immersion. And look, I'm 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 into that, too. Like, I like games to be immersive, but I don't care about card game immersion as much. Like card games are kind of like the one that I the immersion isn't as important as the game flowing and mechanically being. I think if it was like so all over the place, then that would bother me. Um, And I think that. What the reason I'm okay with this is it all seems to be opt-in you know yeah yeah uh-huh you don't have to play with the premium you know card back with the fancy person and if your opponent does so what you know 
um, it's not going to change that 90% of the, no, 99% of the time, everything on the board is going to be, you know, D and D fantasy land, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I guess, and I, so I don't, I guess, but I can also see where people be like, oh, this is really cool. I bet it's a lot of fun for the people who really like, um, you know, League of Legends and the different skins, and that's got to be fun for them. And we talked about the idea of there being, oh, alternate skins or alternate universes playing in. Uh, and, and, you know, some people aren't into that, and I totally respect that opinion because I get it. Um, but an, an immersion, breaking immersion for me is something that can kill even like a role-playing game. You know, if I'm if I'm in a RPG, you know, the, the games that I've had the most fun in are the games that are just very, very immersive into the world around me, you know, and if it gets too crazy, goofy or if it gets too, you know, unbelievable, then it then that kills it for me. Same with television shows. I'm really into world building, really into immersion. But I think that CCGs, I'm enough of a I guess I'm enough of a spike that as long as the game is still functioning, it doesn't really bother me if there's the odd card that looks cyberpunky. You yeah, know, and the and fact that like the, the main futuristic menu is K-pop, you know. Right. And like I do wish I had a way to manually change the main menu. So you didn't have to see it. Right. I, I, I genuinely and but I've been wanting that for forever. I want to be able to set mine to always be on that scene of Buildswater overlooking with misfortune. That's my favorite one. I want that always there. I don't really want to look at um, Yasuo walking across a bridge with weird leaves, one of which is shaped like a human, you know? Sure. Like, because then I just fixate on that one leaf that looks like a little man, a little cutout man. <laughs> the whole and time. Then I, the whole time. That's all I can see anymore. Please don't make me look at it. Um, but, so I guess that's where I'm at. I mean, I just, I just, I respect everyone's opinion and I probably will be maybe 5% happier once the event's over, but I still might buy the event because there's a couple guardians in there that look really cool. I mean, by the way, I don't think anybody really complained when the eight bit board came out. That's one of my favorite uh, game boards. <laughs> yeah, if that doesn't break immersion. What does? Right. You know, I mean, that's got a, that's literally like eight bit graphics with random, like, you know, stuff floating around and a synthy soundtrack. You know I mean? Come on. Um, I guess I think people are just ready to overreact, maybe because it's so big and and really maybe because it's only the second event. I think if the, if this had been like the seventh event, people might have been like, oh, it's a little bit different. I think it's I think it's because Runeterra is new enough that people feel that it shouldn't get this um, what feels maybe forced or fake riot treatment. I think that people would have much preferred if there was like an in you know, universe event for this second, this, this sophomore outing, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and I, I get that. So let's talk about the cards because if you play enough, you're going to get the cards. And if you don't want to play enough to get them, that's fine. You're, you're still going to, you can still craft them so you can get the cards. And there are five new cards. There's one shadow Isles. It's kind of a double. There's an Ionia, a Targon. I guess Targon isn't one of the base factions, a frail yord and a PNZ. By the way, I looked it up. Um, Evelyn is the, the fifth member of this, this faction here, this, this K, KDA huh. stuff. Um, so okay. let, let's talk about it. So the first ones are Shadow Isles. They are called Go Hard and then Pack Your Bags. Go Hard is a one mana slow spell. Drain one from a unit and shuffle two copies of me into your deck. So you're going to put 
two copies of Go Hard into your deck. Once you've cast me three times, which you're going to keep casting and, and getting more in your deck, transform all copies everywhere into pack your bags. So including the one in your hand, pack your bags is one mana slow, deal five damage to all enemies and the enemy nexus, and then transform all copies of me everywhere back into Go Hard. So you're going to play three Go Hards, pack your bags. Play three go hearts, pack your bags. Um, I saw BBG playing this today. It's actually a pretty interesting deck because it is, I don't know how good it is, but it can kind of be a win strategy in like a really grindy sort of uh, control game where this just kind of eventually, if you have enough draw, you just keep getting go hards, ping, 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 and then pack your bags, ping, 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 pack your bags. Um, so I'm thinking that maybe Shadow Isles with something like TF and a lot of card draw where you're trying to level up TF, keep cards in your hand and keep pinging stuff away and then using pack your bags and getting rid of stuff until you burn your opponent apart um with you know four pack your bags eventually or you know ping damage and a pack your bags at the end um interesting card not i, I haven't played with any of these because i don't have access to any of them yet so i we're not going to be able to give you informed thoughts on it but i did think that this card was more viable than i thought it was going to be because as it turns out one mana five damage to all enemies and the enemy nexus is good uh, yeah, this seems to me like the only obviously viable candidate here. And I say viable as in can be played successfully, not necessarily as in will be meta. Um, I, I know people say, vi think some people hear viable and they think meta. Uh, and that's not generally what I think of it as. I think of mm -hmm. it as can win games. Um, would be worth a deck inclusion in a certain deck. That's that's my thought on viable, just for context. Um, so I really like it uh obviously draining one so this is kind of in that same realm as like vile feast and unspeakable horror but you don't get the it's a delayed value as uh -huh. opposed to an immediate value but for half the cost um also it's slow speed but whatever um but i really do like that idea of eventually you will get a really cool powerful effect and don't forget that if you run three copies of this and you play your first one you now have five copies in your deck not yeah. just three because the other two are, are base ones are still in the in the deck. Um, now, obviously, just because you're as anyone who's played, uh, uh, you know, any sort of physical card game, uh, increasing your deck size can sometimes be pretty tough because it throws off the metrics of how likely you are to see any one card. So when you play this, you know, this card as a strategy you're going to want to either have a ton of draw and that be kind of contributing towards your win condition like you we were talking about, uh, or it needs to have a very redundant play style. Remember we talked about redundancy versus mm -hmm. uh, synergy? Uh, synergy means I need to see certain cards to go together to be effective. Redundancy being most of the cards will achieve the same thing, and so it doesn't really matter which of these three cards I get. I just need to find one of them. Um to achieve whatever goal or end goal you have, right? So my thought was a couple things. One, I was thinking about this almost like uh, whether either played with or in exchange for Karina. Remember Karina? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think about that, and I think about how Karina basically was like, deal five to all the enemies, right? Sure. It's maybe you know three or four, whatever. But because you built your deck in such a way that you always had all these spells, um karina combined with ladros was kind of the win con now you could play karina with this uh 
what is it? Pack your bags, mm-hmm. whatever. Go hard, pack your bags. Go hard and pack your bags. Um, just consider that if you, the more you pack your bags into the deck, and that's just what I'm going to call it when you shuffle things, the more you pack your bags, uh, the more stuff is going to be in that bag, and you might lose Karina somewhere in that bag, that, which is your deck. Um, yep, and yep, you yep. may not find your find your Karinas. But if you did, you can probably be pretty sure most of the cards are going to be spells. Um, and I think that P and Z might be a really natural pairing because you have so much, uh, not just draw, but filter. You know, you're going to be able to play things like, um, uh, was it sewer something or what's that one drop called? I don't, uh, the one uh, that the, uh, the discards one and draws one. Yeah. What's that stupid thing? Called? Oh, Zonite urchin. Mm-hmm. You can play the Zonite urchin, dish one, draw one. You can play the, uh, oh, what's that two drop in veteran investigator. Everyone draws one. I mean, there are ways to get through your deck pretty darn quickly. Uh, with rummage and sump dredgers and all those guys you know, coming down, drawing you cards. Um, and I think that just could be a really, really cool uh, approach. Whether you're or not you're playing Karina, I think PNC might be a good little uh, group to pair with just because of the the filter. Yeah, I agree. Let's move on. Let's go to Go Get It. Uh, go Get It is a five mana Ionius fast spell. Um, it reads recall an ally and summon an exact ephemeral copy in its place and then reduce its cost to zero this round so this allows you to pull something from the board and put a copy an ephemeral copy of it in place it's very similar to the other ionia card that's the flip side of zed that puts a three two in place of yours except this also yeah this also drops its cost to zero um so my initial thought about this is there's the potential there for it to actually enable uh could enable some kind of crazy synergies um because like you can now put uh well it only costs zero this round so maybe not you know if you put it in your hand and it continued to cost zero like you could get your karma in play and then put karma in your hand and leave her in your hand it costs zero that's not going to happen um so i'm kind of curious this card could see some play because it allows you you don't really lose as much tempo as you do with the three two ephemeral that you put into play um which is interesting i'm not sure how good of a combat trick this is i don't know that there's a place for it in ionia right now um it's really a hard card to evaluate for me but i i'm I'm probably will check it out a little bit yeah there's two things there one would be because you're creating exact ephemeral copy anything that has strike on it like say maybe ren shadow blade or something like that um could be a, a a good candidate to target uh or alternatively something uh, that has a play effect, right? Um, where y- you want to get that 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 effect on play uh, multiple times, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you want to be able to trick. So something like Jeweled Protector might be a really good candidate. Uh, oh, yeah. Or That's something like uh, Yone Wind Chaser. I can see it as maybe in a slower uh, Ionia deck as maybe like a one buy. Unfortunately, though, at five cost, it's just, it's very prohibitively costed. And you're getting a neat little effect there, but if you're not able to consistently capitalize on it, you know, if if you're playing this card on a two or a three drop, you're really hurting yourself. You really need to be playing this on a a four drop or higher to get that maximum value. So unless there's a combo card, I just don't see this getting played uh, as any more than a a goofy splash one of uh, in a currently non-existent like mid-range Ionia list. Yeah, it, this is something that's kind of interesting about it is 
like so if you you can play this on an ally right so if you play this on for example anivia um you would summon an exact copy of anivia um which is interesting because then it would die you would get an egg and then play your free anivia from hand after that um without sacking your actual anivia in the fight sure. so i think there there could be something there if you look at like um Tiana uh, crown guard so if you have like an eight mana seven seven when i'm summoned rally if you would recall this like you could attack recall this it would give you a rally you could attack again and then you could play her from hand for free and attack again because this is going to summon an uh, exact copy so when you summon her she rallies what is that how that would work um yeah i think so so let's say you attack I mean, it costs 13 mana, but you could, let's say, attack, play this card to rally, attack again, play this sure. on her to pull her back to hand, summon one that makes you rally, the ephemeral one would rally you, attack again, play her, attack again. Like, you could potentially attack, like, four or five times with her and this in your hand in 13 mana. Yeah, I mean, there's... Sure, yeah. I mean, there's plenty of goofy, you know, high-cost shenanigans you can do. Um, I don't think that's that's really disputed at all, whether between play effects, plunder effects, uh, you know, whatever. Um, I guess just like, I mean, that's just such a commitment to a wombo combo. Like you, you really need to be building around it. Um, and so unless there's like, like, like you said, like unless there's some kind of crazy combo that's really Rekindler. the payoff is really worth it. I mean, but there's like, and you, so you mentioned Anivia. No, that's, that's a totally great point, but I can also do similar shenanigans with Anivia other ways. Yeah. I mean, Rekindler already kind of does that, but maybe a little more consistently and without having to go into Ionia and said, you get Shadow Isles, which has a lot more like control tools and a lot more healing that frail your needs in a late game frail yard list. And that's kind of the issue still too. Like Ionia is strong, um, but it kind of feels like, I don't want to say it doesn't have an identity, but the I always feel like Ionia cards uh, or really. OK, here's what it is. Just Ionia uh, creatures are just all over the place. Not necessarily like their champions, which I think are all honestly, I feel like the champions in Ionia are pretty darn strong, but their supporting minions or whatever they're, they're called allies um, are, are just they're not necessarily as synchronized and as um yeah synergistic necessarily as a pole and you just don't have a lot of choices um you have a lot of underpowered and understated low drop cards and i think that's partly due to the elusives that mm -hmm. are committed to the card pool out of ionia where the elusives are either um just played only for elusive based aggro or just are now been nerfed into the ground yeah because i um, had to and so that that leaves them with a much smaller pool of playable creatures than a lot of the other factions. I mean, you have things. I mean, I'm just looking through here. Sparring student uh, doesn't really see play. Shadow fiend doesn't really see play unless it's in Zed Hecarim. Inspiring mentor, despite the slight buff, never seen it. Nimble Poro, of course, it's a Poro. I mean, you're looking at green. Uh, well, I'm not even gonna leave. I'll say I'll leave Green Glade. Do I'll I'll put some respect on that. Um, but like Green Glade Lookout, Herald of Spring, even uh, like Navori Conspirator, Navori Highwaymen, Silent Shadow Stopper, Emerald Awakener, Green Glade Elder, uh, you know, 
Young Witch even is arguable. I mean, that's their two drops. And like only three of them maybe are relevant. You know, you have over half the two drops see almost no play. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the big issue with Ionia, which I feel like is stopping these kind of more creative cards in Ionia from ever really having an impact because they don't have that foundation yeah. to build off of. I mean, twos and threes, we just talked about how four and five is like the time in the game where everything turns around and and really the the pace of the game is decided, you know, and yet the twos and threes in, in, in Ionia are just all over the place and a lot of them are just very 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 weak um i mean i i'm gonna i mean leaving champions out because there is two three drop champions but if we look at the uh the three drop uh creatures emerald awakener green glade elder uh river shaper all see almost no play um shadow assassin is almost never played anymore you have solitary monk almost never played anymore the new cards, I would argue, like Skilled Snapper sees play if only because of the flexibility of its stat block. Um, and even then, I've seen that played so much less. Uh, and then you have Tasty Fae Folk, which I actually still think Tasty Fae Folk could theoretically be relevant in a bubble in a deck where you really need lifesteal. I actually drafted it in Expedition and it won me like multiple games, but but that's because lifesteal is strong. I mean, just seriously, think about that. I mean, you are taking Ionia and farming it out to other factions at any given, you know, chance just to get twos and threes. Yeah, yeah, I think that's reality. I think that's reality for for Ionia. Ionia. Well, yeah. let, let, let's move on. Let's move on because we really need to get wrapped up here. Um, out of the way is the Targon card, five mana slow spell. For the rest of the game, allied buffs except barrier are permanent. Draw one. This means you can make a card permanently untargetable by spells for the record. Um, like it, a barrier is not, but you can make a, a card. If you play this and then play Bastion, that card can never be targeted by spells. Yeah. Um, I could see this being a one of in the Aurelian Soul deck for basically permanent Aurelian Soul. I mean, it's so can, low tempo. Like, it's awful tempo. Like, you get nothing for it when you play it, but still. Yeah. I, I definitely think this could be a game plan in of itself. Like, you can play this with Tarek, and this is your win con. You know, mm -hmm. just the Pale Cascades never go away. You know, you can just play really mana efficient, like, um, things that only last for the turn. Like, play Rush. Your one mana, give quick attack. That yeah. sticks around now. You know, Doesn't I mean, the, go away. I, the mind kind of boggles on this one at the possibilities, but just don't, the reality no, is it is a win condition. Out. Yeah, I can't even figure right. them all out. Uh, something I'm definitely going to experiment with, though. Um, give it all eight mana slow spell for PNZ. Another big mana spell for PNZ. Raise Ugh. all allies' power and health to the highest power and health among allies. Grant all allies allied keywords as well. So this is another card that could be a win condition in and of itself because you just like, right, you just take, okay, everything on my board is now five attack and everything has elusive um, and could just win off of it. It's but it's it's an interesting it's all of these cards are interesting because they all could be a play around card in some capacity with maybe the exception of go get it. Um, so eight mana. Uh, I mean, any any initial thoughts on this? I my only initial thought for like win win con here was just like okay, get an elusive on the board, get a high attack minion on the board, and then play this. 
it's like a PNZ version of Mind Meld. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, the, it is similar. Yeah, the issue is just like just kind of like Mind Meld. Um, you have to actually have allies on the board, and PNZ has crummy allies, so that is true. Yeah, maybe PNZ with Freljord, maybe. Maybe. Get like a big boy out and then get a guy with elusive out. And yeah, I'm just not enthused. I just really, this is a meme card. Oh, oh it's definitely, a, this is, I, I don't maybe feel the like memiest. the other ones, yeah, I don't feel like the other ones are strictly memes. I feel like this one is strictly meme. Yeah, this one might be the memeiest. Maybe I could be proven yeah. wrong on that. Maybe there's a deck that has like a one turn kill, like an OTK with this card, but it would be very preventable. <laughs> like it's right, an OTK exactly. and it's just, very just, preventable. Yeah, just manage their board state. It's not like uh, OTKs deny. are typically, yeah, o- OT or deny, yeah, whatever. I mean, OTKs are typically strong when they're all from hand, and you can kind of play them all out on one mm. turn, and your opponent can't. So start why lease in OTK is so strong, right? And really, then at that point, it's not it's not a true OTK if you relied on having a, a board before that turn. <laughs> sure, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, that's fair. Last one is Feel the Rush. This is the Freljord card, which I think is connected to Ari. It's a 12 mana. 12 mana. We already have a 12 mana card in Freljord. <laughs> um, yeah. And it says, summon two different random champions from your hand and deck. Raise their stats up to 10-10. Hmm. You know what this card would really like to hang out with? Mm, what? The Howling Abyss. Yes, it would. That'd be hilarious. It would like the Howling Abyss. Yeah, they'd be buds. Summon two different random champion cards from your hand and deck. Raise their stats up 10-10. Uh, interesting. We have experienced before, though, that big boys typically aren't the thing that wins you the game. Um, but And you can't do this turn, you know, two turns in a row because you have to have spell mana for it. So you can't just oppress your opponent with them if they can clear it. It would be hard to clear them. Um, but like the stuff that you want to get out of your deck, like uh, I don't know. You know, ten ten trundle would be pretty good. That's true. Ten ten trundle would be pretty good. Um, if you pull Darius, would he then level up after he enters play and then get the plus five? I would imagine so fifteen attack Darius. If he wasn't already on the board and leveled up beforehand, <laughs> and then he would be a ten attack Darius. <clears throat> right, ten 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 overwhelm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's already a ten attack Darius. Yes, so that's not very yeah. impressive. Um, no, you, it might be better. So Juani, like, lo- like um, yeah, or like uh, it's not a lot of other people with overwhelm. It doesn't level them, does it? No, it doesn't level them. Just two different random champions from hand and deck. Yeah, I don't know if there's really much that that works well because you kind of want uh, overwhelm with those. Uh, or, yeah, which is why my thought was like Trundle, because you could have leveled up Trundle by this point in Sejuani because she comes with Overwhelm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like gang, Gangplank, maybe. Yeah, he's, GP he's has overwhelm, overwhelm built in. Yeah, that might be that might be the one. Uh, Maokai, on, uh, weirdly, could be a fun 10-10 creature to have. <laughs> <laughs> that, would be, that would actually be really funny. Uh, I would yeah. like that quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Or or uh, Ezreal and Timo for elusive. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Ezreal would be would be really strong as a. There's 10-10. your OTK. There's your OTK. The pull play play a frail yard with this ramp into pulling out Timo and Ezreal from your deck for two ten ten elusives, and win the yep. game. And then win the game for you know, there's twenty damage right there. Yep. And that is actually 
well, maybe I'm going to try that. Maybe that's my new thing. <laughs> well, there you go. Just Give it like, a try. Let me know how it works. Just like ramp, I craft it. <laughs> ramp and control and then just constantly ditch your champs back into your deck and then play this to play Timo and Ezreal. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's what we're trying. Maybe that's the new deck we're trying. Ooh, well, mm. well, what, anyway, guys, that's all the cards for this upcoming for this upcoming event. Um, interesting that they released new cards in an event, but they are free. So if you just grind your pass um, without buying the premium pass, if you just grind the free pass that they gave you, um, you can unlock all of these cards. So get in there, complete your daily quest, complete your epic quest, and unlock those cards. I don't know about you, DBN, though, man. I'm a little tired. Are you ready to get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. Let's get out of here. Okay, guys, I'm going to go ahead and we're going to jump into closing thoughts. And I thought I was already perfect. Okay, guys, once again, we do closing thoughts because I hope that if you will take, well, at this point, an hour and 40 minutes of listening to us talk about Legends of Runeterra, that you get more than just Runeterra knowledge out of this. Hopefully, you'll get better at life. This week, I'm giving you a proverb, a saying of the wise. Um, this week's proverb is this. It's fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Now, a confession time, I was going to talk about technology and its impacts on us. I am going to talk about that, but just a couple days from now, um, about 64% of our audience who are U.S. citizens or people from the United States, at least, um, will have the opportunity to go vote. There's been a lot of people who've wanted to air their opinions, who've had no desire to understand anybody other than themselves. And that has not been helpful this year. 2020 has largely been a crap show, not because necessarily of a pandemic, not necessarily because of any of the other rising tensions or the election year. It's because people don't want to listen to one another, man. They don't want to to act right. They don't want to listen to one another. So I'm saying, learn to listen. If you don't want to be a fool, then have some interest in understanding, have some interest in learning about people, have some interest in getting to know people that are a little bit different than you. Don't only be worried about the opportunity to air your own opinions. Um, Most people don't want to hear them. They just don't. They're not interested. They want to air their own opinions. Take an opportunity to show a genuine interest in the opinions, the thoughts, and the stories of others. Um, And it may completely change your perspective. By the way, that doesn't mean you have to change what you believe or change your understanding of something. Just because you care enough about another person to listen to where they've come from and what they've experienced and why they believe and think the way that they do doesn't mean that you have to change the way you think or believe. But it also doesn't mean that you have to air out your opinions everywhere you go. Get off social media and go vote next week. That's my that's my plug. That's my closing thought for this episode. Yeah, Definitely. I mean, you can see that in, in all walks of life. It's, a lot of times, uh, Mark and I were talking about this, a lot of times the most opinionated people are the people you should be least listening to the least. <laughs> yup, and that is very true in card games, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it can be. In, in, in the nerd sphere, the, the loudest people are often oh. the people that don't take the time to... Uh, to consider what they're saying. Yes, uh, often, often. And honestly, it's card games. Like the evaluating of cards is some of the worst for that. Like draws some of the strongest ignorant opinions that are out there come in whenever it comes time to review and re- uh, cards that have been revealed that no one's even had the chance to play with yet. Like 
there is a certain amount of like fun that goes along with like sharing your opinions and your thoughts and being completely wrong or being like, oh, I was really right about that one. And I think that on this show, like DBN, I think that you and I do that really well in like a fun way, right? Because we're not super serious. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's all about, you know, and, and just even just the little thing of putting an a asterisk next to it by saying it might be really broken. It might be really weak. Could be. It looks like it's not going to be that good. But saying things in like absolutes, you know, that that's, you know, as we all know, only a Sith deals in absolutes. Only a Sith. Uh, Quit being a Sith. That's the real closing thought. Stop right. being a Sith. Stop being a Sith. Name of the episode. Yes. <laughs> it's literally going to be. And if you made it this far, <laughs> if you made it an hour and 49 minutes you'll in, know you why. now know why. Otherwise, you'll be completely in the dark. Why is this episode called Don't Be a Sith? I have no it idea why. It has nothing why. to do with it. You this is not a Star Wars end. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> don't be a Sith. Oh, well, I don't have to come up with anything creative. Well, that's going to do go, it, buddy. guys. Check out DBN on his YouTube channel. You can check me out on Twitch, although I don't stream right now. Um, join our discord because that's where all the fun things are going on. And once again, thank you to all of our Patreons over at patreon.com slash legendscast. You guys are awesome. That's going to do it for episode 38 guys. And, uh, be sure to come back again next week. Thanks for listening to Legends Cast. This episode was brought to you by listeners like you. Don't forget to join our Discord community and support us by leaving us a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. A special thanks goes out to all of our Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash legendscast.